0: So me, ba-rumple-bum-bum, a newborn king to see, ba-rumple-bum-bum, our finest gifts we bring, ba-rumple-bum-bum.
1: Good morning, everyone. It is a, a pleasure and a joy to be able to join together with you and, and lead worship and sing with you. My name is Jay. If you're new here, I'm the director of worship here at City Church, and we are in our second week of um, Advent, and uh, each week we are lighting the, the candles of the Advent wreath here and reading uh, passages uh, prophesying the coming Messiah, and in so doing, we are observing and reflecting on uh, both the, the Israelites looking towards the coming of their Messiah, but also observing and reflecting on the fact that we are, too, in an Advent season, that we are waiting and hoping, hoping and anticipating the coming and return of Christ. And so this season helps us kind of cultivate that. And this morning, uh, Daniel Holtzhaus and Austin Soto are going to come and lead us in that time um, of Scripture and lighting. Um, we have to locate... Austin Soto. <laughs> yes, can somebody go grab him? So uh, uh, last week, as last week, uh, similar to this week, we're going to have a uh, a leader portion and a church portion, and you're going to uh, obviously, hopefully, read along with that church portion. But in addition to that, um, we will read each, I didn't say this last week, but we are going to successively read each passage. So we will read last week's passage as well as this week's in anticipation and kind of build on that each and every week. Chipper, would you mind lighting the Advent wreath for us? Thank you so much. There was a miscommunication. That's okay. Totally fine.
2: Daniel, take it away. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We light
1: these candles as a sign of the coming light of Christ.
2: Isaiah 9-2 says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep deep darkness, on them light has shone. Isaiah 42-16 says, and I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I and I do not forsake them. Come, Lord Jesus, our light and our salvation.
1: Let us walk, walk in the light of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Oh God, would you please be with us th- be with us this morning? Help us who walk in Often in darkness, this season, um, those who are weary, those who are exhausted, those who are struggling, feel a renewed sense of your presence as we observe Advent together. And God, would we more closely anticipate, more intimately anticipate and hope and long and desire for your return? And God, would you, would you return? quickly. May we worship you in the waiting. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to sing together. Sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing.
0: triumph of the skies with angelic thing, Lord. The- the
1: singing together.
3: Never stop but
2: Good morning. Welcome to City Church. My name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here. We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community, walking with God in our city. During this Advent season, we are restfully waiting together in Jesus until Jesus comes again and gives us ultimate rest in the new and glorious promised land. Guys, I have a gauntlet of great things to tell you about today. This is probably the, the, the biggest Everest I've ever encountered as far as announcements go. It's good stuff. You might have to cart me out of here after it, but I'm going to try. Um, so pray for me as we go here and be encouraged. Uh, number one, please be in touch with us, especially so we can be praying for you. We put this connection card in your bulletin, the, the bulletin you get in when you walk in each morning. Please consider filling this out with your prayer requests or ask us questions about the life of our church. You You know exactly how to do it. Put it in the seat pocket in front of you, then we'll pick them up after the service and pray for you during the week. You can also fill out a virtual connection of the same exact card, citychurchgmv.com slash connection. As I like to say, uh, if you fill out this card, we do a giveaway every single week here at City Church. We give away prayer, really. So fill it out. We will definitely pray for you. Everybody is a winner. We worship a generous God. So part of our responsive worship as the people of God is giving generously You can always give online citychurchgmv.com slash give. There's a brown box in the back of the sanctuary, and there are envelopes and pens next to it. Events. Next week, we are having our Christmas celebration. We celebrate Christmas two times here at City Church, okay? So we're going to do a full-out Christmas extravaganza next week during both services. It's heavy on the music, so if you're, if you're thinking to yourself, I wish these guys would just stop talking and, and play the music, that's pretty much next week. Shorter sermon, but lots of worshiping, lots of singing together, and so I hope that we will see you there again, 9 and 11. You could even go twice if you wanted to, okay? And we will be having a Christmas Eve service on the 24th here as well. You can see 6.30 in the sanctuary, but we're also celebrating... Christmas next week, because when a lot of people leave, they travel, so we like to gather together a couple weeks early. So that's both services. And by the way, during the second service, we are now offering um, child care, child programming for kids 0 to 2. So we offer the full thing during the 9 a.m. service, and we're we're gradually working up to offering the same thing in the 11. Right now we're 0 to 2, so that's an option for you if you want to come to that service. Also, next week, we are celebrating... Baptism, And you're thinking, we just did that a couple of weeks ago. We're doing it again, praise God. So we're going to have another baptism celebration. Um, a couple of weeks ago when we had this celebration, we, it was at somebody's house a couple of miles from here. This week, the, the hope and desire and the plan is to actually just go ahead and do it out in Lot 10, which is catty-corner across the street from the church. So we'll have our, our Rubbermaid tub out there. And after the second service, we'll simply walk outside, gather around, and have the baptism. I would encourage you... To go, sometimes people say, uh, well, who's getting baptized? Do I know this person? Doesn't matter. Go anyway. Uh, You will definitely be encouraged. I promise you that. Uh, Watch someone publicly profess faith in Christ and demonstrate it um, by being submerged in the water and then raised into new life in Jesus. So that's next week after the second service. So come do the Christmas thing. Stay for the baptism. Uh, We would love to have you there. Also, we are about to do, we have special scheduling. Um, And If you're getting lost by now, I'll give you a hint about all of this in just a minute. We have special scheduling during the Christmas season, so starting not next week, but on the 19th, so 19th, 26th, and January 2nd, we just will have one service at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary, so just kind of reboot your mind. That doesn't start next week, but over the holidays we just have one service at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary, so I want to give you a heads up about that. Okay, community engagement. Today, our homeless outreach team is going out and about in downtown Gainesville uh, to continue meeting people, building relationships. Number one, if you're not on the team, you can be on the team, so just come a little bit early. They, they meet at 1 o'clock, but if you come a little early, uh, they'll train you, they'll kind of get you in the loop so you can go out with them. If you're not there, pray for them as they continue to build these relationships, guys doing wonderful things. Also, that team, I'm telling you, next Sunday is going to be packed. That team is having a meal for many of the folks, many of our neighbors that we've been meeting that live around here that don't have homes in this sanctuary, okay? So that isn't for everybody. We have a limited number of people that are already going to be helping serve that meal that are on the team. However, we do need you to help bring food items, okay? So you could just bring whatever, pretty much, and know that it would be very useful next week. However, I would encourage you to look on Realm, which is our intranet that we have here at City Church. Uh, There's a sign-up thing that's posted on there. If you're not on it, you have no idea what we're talking about, go to the hospitality table after the service. We will get you on Realm. Someone will be there to help you, and if someone isn't there to help you, you can simply come to me and say, someone is not there to help me, and then I will go help you. I will make sure you get on there so you can bring food next week to help with that meal. And that's an encouraging development. We've never done something exactly like that in the life of our church. This is a a wonderful new um, kind of, I, I would say, step in the right direction as far as loving our neighbors very well. We are also about to reboot our uh, pandemic pause mentoring at Aquin Jones, which is a middle school and high school just up the road from us. Um, We were doing that for a few years. Pandemic put on pause because of obvious reasons. That's about to restart. If you are interested in being a mentor, uh, you have a training this Monday here at seven o'clock in this sanctuary. Seven o'clock Monday here You should already know about it, or if you're like, I have no idea, but I'm interested in mentoring, that sounds interesting, you can come too. If you can't make it, there will be another one in January, um, and these are going to be mandatory, either one for those that want to be mentored, because there's lots of things we need to tell you about, and help train you so that you can go in there, and be successful. I told you there's a lot, and we are are getting there, I promise. Finally, here at City Church, we like to make a big deal about prayer. Um, I'm not preaching today, but I'm going to preach a little bit. I see prayer uh, corporately and individually as probably the greatest mark of spiritual integrity. So if you're going to do a heat check as far as your walk with Jesus, I say corporate and individual prayer is probably the thing to look at the most. So we try to make a big deal about prayer. We feel like that's really the space in which the Lord does uh, real work here in our midst. And so, as you may know, we are pursuing um, buying our building. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago and ultimately renovating the entire thing. We haven't officially launched it yet. We told you who's on our building campaign team. We prayed for them. We kind of commissioned them. We're still doing a lot of behind-the-scenes things. But one of those uh, leaders or two of those leaders on our campaign team campaign team, are leading our prayer team. Okay, So that prayer team is going to be leading our church through prayer as we um, prayerfully consider buying and renovating this building. And they need you to help. So this prayer team is going to primarily... Uh, When we get close to uh, buying our building and closing on our building, so the building's under contract at the end of March, we expect to actually close on it, they're going to do a 30-day guided um, kind of prayer journey for our entire church leading up to that closing. Okay, So they need people like you to help lead the church through that, and that will involve different prayer prompts, writing devotionals, and there will be additional things that we're going to do in the next several months that relate to prayer and buying our building. So we're going to bathe this whole thing in prayer, and we need you to be a part of it. There's an insert in your little bulletin that uh, gives you a QR code that you can scan if you want to find out more information, or you come next week to an info meeting, and we'll tell you all about what it means to be on this prayer team. But we need quite a few people to help lead our church through prayer, uh, so consider scanning that code, or coming next week to an info meeting, and there's different levels that you can be involved as far as prayer. If you are lost, you're thinking this was a lot, let me recommend to you the little bulletin that you get when you walk in. There's also, check this out, an even bigger bulletin. So if you are short on information, we have a larger monthly bulletin that we put on that hospitality table in the back. So use your little bulletin, use your big bulletin. I'm pretty sure you can do it. You know, I think that's it. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray for us, and then Ryan's gonna come and preach for us. And hopefully you're encouraged. Guys at work in our church, there's a lot going on. He's Um, using you, and praise God. All right, Lord, thank you for this space of time that you've granted to us, that we might, as we were talking about, restfully wait for you. I pray that you would use the preaching of your word this morning um, to actually change us, that you would use um, the very words of God, which you have given to us, you have passed down to us through generations and generations. Lord, would you use those to stir our affections for you, and may we walk out of here a different people. We love you very much. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
4: All right. Thank you, Chipper. The quiz on all those announcements will be at the end. I used to love the professors who would you know, quiz you on like the obscure details. So it won't be that bad. Um, Hey, we're continuing, I'm Ryan, one of our pastors, we are continuing through our Advent series, this is week two of four, so it's great to get to worship with you and uh, open God's word together. Uh, We are looking at Luke chapter one this morning, Luke chapter one, and we will be reading 50 verse 57 through 80, so it's a good chunk of scripture, but a wonderful passage, a familiar passage for Advent. And uh, you can, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up, follow along with us, or it'll also be up here on the screen. You can follow uh, follow along there as well. So Luke 1, starting in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard him laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can open your word during this time of Advent and remember this longing, this looking forward to Christ's coming. Thank you for all that you did to bring our savior into this world and for all that you have done since then to proclaim the good news of Christ's birth, of his life, of his ministry, of his death, his resurrection and ascension. Lord, I pray that this morning, would you help us to see where we do not see right now. May the Holy Spirit speak with the same power this morning, as he did through Zechariah 2,000 years ago. And pray that Jesus would be lifted high, that you would be glorified. We love you, Lord, and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we love stories of redemption, right? Uh, Sports stories of underdogs coming from behind and winning. Movies about the character who's overlooked and undervalued, but... You know, overcomes adversity, or accounts of people who, despite every odd being against them, receive mail from the post office on time. You know, these are really the like phoenix rising from the ashes kind of examples here. During this Advent season, uh, we're considering some of the reasons that Jesus came into the world. Why Jesus came here and what he came to accomplish. And so each week we're looking at a different aspect of the salvation that Christ brought us. Last week we looked at adoption, and this morning we are looking at redemption. And we see in this familiar text two crucial components about the story of redemption the need for redemption and the hope for redemption. The need for redemption and the hope for redemption. So we'll begin. With the need component. Uh, you know, part of the explanatory power of the Christian faith, in my view, is how accurately it identifies the realities of this world and of our lives. And we see a couple of those realities on display in this opening chapter in the Gospel of Luke. The first one, just briefly, is the, the reality of pain in this world. The Gospel of Luke begins with the story of a family that is struggling with infertility. Zechariah and Elizabeth desired to have this child but they hadn't been able to conceive. And this angel visits Zechariah while he is performing his priestly duties. And he tells Elizabeth or he tells Zechariah that Elizabeth will bear a son that's to be named John. And not only that the son was going to be like Elijah, turning the hearts of God's people back to righteousness and to justice. And preparing the way for the Lord. Zechariah questioned how this could be, you know, kind of understandably given their history. And because of that, the angel said that he wasn't going to be able to speak until his son was born. And so for the better part of a year, Zechariah was mute. But as we read, when when the child is born, his voice is restored and he begins praising God. I mean, can you imagine that moment? Whether it's in heartache, unfulfilled longing, grief, suffering, questions, doubts, or any other kind of pain, the scriptures consistently acknowledge the the genuine struggles that we face in life. But they also show a God who sees us in our struggles and who deeply cares for us. Who deeply cares for us. A, A second reality that we see in this opening chapter and the focus of our time this morning is the desire and the need that we have for redemption. The Jewish people had been dominated and trod on by one foreign nation after another for centuries. Most recently, it was the Roman Empire, which had established this paranoid and murderous Herod as the ruler over their region. They regularly felt the sting of oppression, and they longed to be set free. When John was born, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he spoke this prophetic word from God, which began like this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He praised God not only for the gift of life, the miraculous gift of life, but for what this child represented the promise of redemption for his people. This was a redemption that would be brought by the coming of the Lord, as he talks about this horn of salvation that is from the house of the servant of David. This would be a redemption that would be a fulfillment of the prophets and the promises in the old covenant to Abraham and to David, uh, proclamations that had come from the prophets of old. This would be a redemption that would include deliverance from their enemies, you notice twice he references this deliverance from the hand of their enemies. They longed to be delivered from their enemies. They couldn't wait for the Romans to be gone so that they could live in peace. If only these oppressors weren't there, they could serve God faithfully. They could do so much good. You know, They, they waited, they pined, they, they pleaded for God to set them free from this oppression. And now finally, finally... The Lord was going to come and deliver them from their enemies. Surely, he was going to kick their tail from here to the Colosseum, right? Surely, this would be the time of political freedom and economic prosperity. Surely, this is what God wants for them to be happy and prosperous, right? Surely. Have you ever heard something, and you were so true, you knew what it meant, but come to find out, you... Drew the wrong conclusion. Uh, one of, of my favorite examples of this embarrassing moment in my own life was when I was a youth—I don't know, like 14 or so—and I was on a, a retreat with my youth group. You know, and I was uh, kind of in my uh, sleepy stupor in the morning. We were out at breakfast somewhere, and we—I'd gone to the buffet, and I came back uh, to the table to sit down, and I noticed that there was not a chair at uh, the table where I was going to sit. And so I just, you know, I set my food down. I turn around. There's a chair here. No one's sitting in. And I grab it and I just pull it over. And, and I sit down and I hear this thud behind me. And I turn around and I see my mom laying on the ground. And I was like, what are you doing? Why are you down there? And she was just bewildered what just had what had just transpired and then my youth pastor comes over and he said ryan i cannot believe i have never seen someone pull out the chair from their own mother i had i wasn't paying attention and i just saw here's an empty chair pull it out and my mom just happened to be sitting down right at the same moment as i pulled that out You know, whether it is the, the innocent conviction at a young age that the best letter in the alphabet is "elemento," or the hilarity of belting out your favorite song in the car, full of friends to discover that you are a victim, victim of misheard lyric syndrome, we all make the mistake of hearing something and drawing the wrong conclusion, right? Well, the same thing happened with the Israelites, God had promised to preserve the Israelites through the line of David. The prophets foretold of a Messiah who would come to bring deliverance. And they thought that that must mean that the Messiah would be a ruler, he would be a, he would be a king. They thought that he was going to usher in a period of peace and of freedom. They thought that meant he would bring deliverance from their oppressors. And he would, and he did but not like they expected. How often do we fall prey to the same way of thinking? You know, what is your greatest constraint in life? What immediately comes to mind? You know, maybe it's, it's your work. You feel like you have a job that isn't rewarding enough or challenging enough or doesn't pay enough or you don't have enough potential for growth. Or it's your time. You feel like you're just constantly coming and going. You're kind of passing yourself on the road between appointments, you know? Maybe it's physical, you, you keep battling this ailment that won't improve. Or financial, you feel like you, you never have enough, you can't save enough, you can't get that thing that you want, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Every day we, we feel the push and the pull of these constraints in our lives, and they're real. They're important things, they're not to be minimized by any means. But how often do we tend to think, if I could just change this job, if I could just find the right person? or get this person to behave this way, or if I could just get feeling better, if I could just get a little more money, or if I could just get a vacation, if the Jaguars could just have a winning season, (laughs) then finally, all would be, that was just for Chipper, finally, all would be right in life. Then I'll be happy, then I'll be content. How often do we think that what we need most in life is a change in our circumstances? But God tells us our need is far greater. Our problem is much deeper. The psalmist in Psalm 106 recounts God's deliverance of the Israelites from the Exodus. He recalls how God set them free from their slavery in Egypt. And he delivered them from the hand of the oppressors. And this is what he says. He saved them from the hand of the foe, and from the hand of the enemy, he redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them survived. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his counsel. In the desert, they gave in to their craving. In the wasteland... They put God to the test, and so he gave them what they asked for. God freed the Israelites of Moses' day from their physical, political oppressors. He led them to a promised land. He guided them by his very presence. He protected them on their journey. He promised to go in with them in victory, but they soon forgot what he had done and gave in to their, did you catch it, craving. The story of the Israelites from 3,400 years ago has been retold and reembodied in the lived experience of humanity for millennia. And it reveals that there is a deeper problem in the human heart, a craving, an insatiable desire that is so powerful that we routinely turn away from what we know to be good, right, and true, even from God himself, to feed it. And that craving is sin, and we are enslaved to it. Uh, NPR did a story many years ago of uh, William Cope Moore. His new memoir is about uh, addiction, new back then. It was about addiction and recovery that began in 1994 when he walked out on his wife and his two children and was getting high in a crack house in Atlanta's inner city. His father tracked him down <clears throat> and came to get him. And it's not the only time in his memoir that, uh, when William is rescued by his family. And he, he wrote this after he had been, by God's grace, sober for 12 years. <clears throat> and the, uh, the interviewer asked him to tell a story of a time when his father came knocking to try to rescue him. And he said, well, there are a couple of stories in the book about that. One was in St. Paul, Minnesota. I was relapsing and came to the apartment building where I was holed up. He, my wife, and the building manager came into the apartment, and I hid in the closet from the very people who loved me and wanted to help me. And they reached into the, the closet and searched through the clothing, but somehow they missed me, and then they were gone. He tells him another example of his father coming with two off-duty officers to rescue him from a house in Atlanta when, when he finally took responsibility for his addiction. And he recounts his response to the banging of the officers at the door. This is a little PG-13 I sat down at the old wood table in the kitchen, the place where the deals were made. The pipe was fired up and the crack consumed. I couldn't run anymore. My legs felt weak and shaky. I couldn't hide, there was no place left. I couldn't think, but I I could still react. And with the instincts of an addict, I did the only thing that was left to do. I reached into my sock and I pulled out the cellophane cigarette wrapper with the rocks carefully stored inside like precious stones. My hands were shaking, and I noticed for the first time that the tips of my fingers were scorched and blistered from lighter burns. I loaded the pipe, flicked the lighter, and inhaled deeply. The sizzle of the drug and the euphoric rush exploding inside my head were suddenly all that mattered to me. The banging on the door of the officers was like thunder on the horizon. I heard the warning, but I didn't feel threatened anymore because I was back in my element, that faraway place where nothing on this earth could touch me. The rush hijacked my brain, and the knocking, the scurrying, the fear disappeared. The memories of my wife and children were gone. I was gone. And I tried to grab a hold of it and hold it tight. This, I thought, is what it's all about, stopping time, going higher and higher, explosions of light and heat, one after another after another. The rapture filled me for a minute or two, and then it began to fade. The sparks died down. The flame became a dying star far, far away. I folded my arms over my chest, longing for comfort, for peace. I was so sick, so sick and tired of it all. In that moment, I realized the hopelessness of my situation. in a sudden, brief flash of clarity, I asked myself, now what? I stared at the filthy wood floor littered with half-empty beer cans, cigarette buds, and used syringes. The answer wasn't in this room anymore. It was all over. I was done. And he goes on to describe the beginning of his path to recovery. You know, stories of addiction can sound like tragic examples of lives that have fallen apart, and they certainly are. But they're also vivid illustrations of the condition of our soul. If we are honest, if we're really self-reflective, that's what we all are, spiritual addicts. Going to some drug of choice for pleasure or happiness comfort or security, to numb pain, to escape from stress, to feel acceptance or whatever. Even though we, we know from lived experience that those things don't deliver what we hope they will, we keep going back again and again and again. It can take a thousand different forms. But at the heart of it, that's what it is. It's addiction. Every single one of us Every single person in this world needs to be set free from that bondage. We need freedom from the addiction that we are enslaved to. We need a far deeper, a far wider, a far greater redemption. But we see that we not only have a substantial need, thankfully, we have an unbelievable hope An unbelievable hope. Though our need is far deeper than we realize, the redemption that God brings is far greater than we can imagine. He says, uh, Zechariah says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. John was going to be the forerunner to prepare the way for the Lord. The Lord who would bring salvation to his people and forgiveness of their sins. With all the mess that we have made and that we are internally, God sees us and he knows us and his desire is to forgive us. God offers us forgiveness through redemption. Leon Morris, a a New Testament scholar, describes the contextual significance of this word redemption here. It's important. He says, uh, lutron, the, the word here, is a word meaning payment for loosing or ransom price. It's important to realize, this is quoting Morris, it's important to realize that it is this idea of payment, as the basis of release, which is the reason for the existence of this whole word group. Other words were available to denote simple release. People could and often did go on using them. But when they chose to use lutron or its cognates, it was because they wanted a term which expressed in itself, not simply by inference from the context, the idea of release by payment. Inherent, that's end quote, inherent in this word for redemption is a price paid to be loosed, a payment made to be set free, a ransom. You know, it was near the end of his ministry, just before venturing to Jerusalem uh, for the final week of his life on earth, Jesus was approached by a couple of his disciples that had kind of an outlandish request, let us sit at your right hand and your left hand in glory. And, of course, this really irked all the other disciples, so they started kind of bickering about all of this. And so Jesus sat them down and explained what it looks like to follow him and how it's different from anything else in this world. And he told them this, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here we have the fundamental truth of the Christian faith. God saw us in our spiritually broken, sin-enslaved, rebellious, and selfish state And he didn't curse us, he didn't forsake us, he didn't reject us, he pursued us. Like the dad banging on the door in search of his addict son, he looked for us and he called for us. But he didn't simply seek us out. He provided the only curative treatment for our souls. The son of God took our affliction for us. The cost of every offense, every relapse, every willful suppression of the truth, he took upon himself. He accepted the sentence of our cosmic criminality. He received the mocking of his creation for the mockery of our transgression. He took the blows of executioners for the hits of our sin. He bore the wrath of God for the sins of mankind, and he gave his life as a ransom for us. You know, at Advent, we remember the longing for a Redeemer. And we get to celebrate this precious truth that Jesus came to pay the price to set us free. Jesus was bound so that we could be loosed. Jesus was captured so that we could be released Jesus died so that we might live. He came to pay the price to set you free. In Hudson Taylor's biography, uh, we get the story of his conversion. You know, Hudson Taylor's the the 19th century missionary to China, raised in a Christian home. But you know, before his missionary days, kind of late in his adolescence, he had this period of questioning the faith that his parents raised him up in. And so this led to conflicts with his father and a great heartache on the part of his mother and his sister who'd committed to pray for him regularly. And so his biographer writes this story. A month after Hudson's 17th birthday in June 1849, he was enjoying an afternoon off work. He wandered into the parlor Looked through the massive bookcase to find something to pass the time, and picked up a gospel track. There'll be a story at the beginning, he thought, with a moral at the end. I'll read the story and skip the sermon. It's reassuring as a pastor. He didn't know that 50 miles away, his mother, who was visiting his or her sister, also found herself that afternoon with several hours to spare. After lunch, she went to her room, locked the door and made up her mind not only to pray for Hudson's conversion, but to stay in the room until she felt sure her prayers were answered. The track that uh, Hudson was reading was about a Coleman in Somerset who was seriously ill with tuberculosis. Before he died, some Christians visited him and talked to him about passages from the Bible. The Coleman was particularly struck by, by the verse which says that Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the cross. When the visiting Christians spoke of Jesus' cry from the cross, it is finished, the Coleman understood its meaning and became a Christian. As Hudson reflected on the track, he became intensely aware of his own sin and the danger of doing nothing about it. He was also intrigued by the words, It is finished. What is finished? From sermons that he had heard but not fully grasped in front of his own knowledge of the Bible, he soon answered his own question, a full and perfect atonement and satisfaction for sin. The debt was paid by the substitute. Christ died for my sins. And then it seemed to him, as he put it, that light was flashed into his soul by the Holy Spirit, that there was nothing in the world to be done but to fall down on one's knees and accepting the Savior and his salvation to praise him forevermore. And so Hudson Taylor knelt on the floor of a warehouse and became a Christian. And in her room in another city, Hudson's mother felt she need pray no longer. Instead, She began to praise God for the firm conviction that she was sure came by the Holy Spirit that Hudson had been converted. All this from these three words. It is finished. It is finished. Jesus paid your ransom. Jesus secured your salvation. And in him and by him and through him, you are free. You are free from the dominion of sin. The power of sin is broken. It has no authority over you. You know, while we fight the battle between spirit and flesh daily, it will no longer be with our hands tied behind our backs. Christ has set you free from the bondage of your old way of living. You don't have to fall back in old patterns of sin. He gives you the power of his very spirit dwelling within you. And you can daily come to him for the strength you need to walk in this newness of life. You are free to live in the light of God. The Lord invites you to bring your every failure to him and in his presence to find forgiveness and grace. Like the sunlight that breaks at the dawn of day and grows stronger throughout, God makes his presence, his truth, and his goodness shine on and sustain us every day. And finally, you are free to walk in the way of peace, the path of peace, peace with God, peace with man. May we daily cherish this gift of redemption that Christ has bought for us. And trust in him. Amen. Each week, we remember this gift, this, this cost of our salvation in Christ going to the cross. We remember that through the Lord's Supper, the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples and the gift that he gave us as a way of remembering that regularly. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had a meal with his disciples and during the meal he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. the apostle paul or later in the meal excuse me <laughs> later in the meal jesus took the cup and pouring it he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood as often as you drink this do this in remembrance of me the apostle paul says that whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup that we proclaim the lord's death until he comes we remember his body broken his blood shed for us for our redemption for our freedom, his life given for us to go free. A few words of instruction. We'll have um, a moment of silence, just to reflect, to pray, to consider what we've talked about this morning, uh, and then the band will come back up and play some more music, and we'll have some more time of worship. During that time, you're welcome to come up and receive uh, the elements to yourself. There'll be an elder deacon here and here, and they'll be distributing the bread. And then there are cups. Of juice up here that you can come and grab as well. I believe there are still pre-packaged communion kits um, on the welcome table there. If you're more comfortable with that, you can uh, use that. If you would like prayer after uh, communion, the elder deacon will be available here on the sides. And so please come and, and uh, take advantage of that. And this is open to anyone who's a follower of Jesus. So you don't have to be a member here or come regularly or anything. If, if you trust Christ, you're welcome to come. And participate in this and if you're here this morning and you say hey that's that doesn't describe me we are just thrilled that you're spending your sunday with us thank you for taking time to consider these things and, and we just encourage you to weigh what we've talked about um, if you'd like to talk i would love to chat with you or pray with you or, or chipper we'd be glad to do that as well so please come and, and grab one of us after the service okay let's pray father thank you for this gift of redemption Thank you that Christ came into this world with the purpose of being a ransom for us, to pay our price, to set us free. Lord, I pray that right now we would take the guilt, the shame, the fear, the uncertainty, the insecurity, every struggle, every desire that comes. With the, with the reality of our inner condition and, Lord, that we hand that to you and we fix our eyes on you and we receive and exchange your grace, your mercy, your kindness. Give us faith, Lord, where we struggle to believe this, where we're tempted to believe lies of our own making, lies of the enemy, Give us faith to trust that Christ and Christ alone is sufficient for our salvation. May we receive him again today in Jesus' name.
0: i uh. cry Silent word is pleading. Nail spear shall pierce him through. The cross be. you
4: Thanks again for worshiping with us this morning. A quick reminder, if you haven't filled out your connection card, we'd love to hear from you. Um, please do fill that out and slide it in the pocket in front of you or in the drop it in the box on your way out. Our benediction comes from Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his very own possession who are zealous to do good works. Amen. Let's sing the doxology.
1: Let me get a keyboard, please. There we go. Let's sing together.
0: and Holy Ghost. Amen.
1: Amen. Go in peace.